Um, welcome. Uh, so we have been going through a series where we are looking at what it means to walk in the way of Jesus, and we've been talking about trying to understand what it means to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. Last week we talked about the idea of a rest and Sabbath. Um, I could say uh, Holly and I really enjoyed getting to take a Sabbath yesterday. Uh, we uh, blocked all our calls and had a great time uh, in rest yesterday. Um, so let's spend some time checking in with each other on that practice and how that went this week. Uh, so take a couple minutes, turn to someone near you, uh, let's talk about how that went. Uh, did you find time for the Sabbath? And what did you do to reflect on God and find rest? Take a couple minutes, chat with someone near you about that. Go. Uh, so today we're going to be really diving into more of the practicals. We've talked kind of deep level philosophically what it means to follow the way of Jesus. And today we're beginning uh, diving into what we're, that actually looks like. Um, so today we are going to be focusing on the power of scripture and the value of the word and the gospel. Um, so I would highly encourage you, uh, as I said, today is more of the practical getting into that, uh, is to take notes. Uh, you can follow in the Bible app. There's some scripture there. But uh, a lot of the practical things we're doing would be good to write down uh, as we are going through our week. Okay? Um, our main text today will be Psalm 119, if you want to be flipping there. Uh, now, Psalm 119 is 173 verses long, so we're certainly not going to be talking about all of Psalm 119, uh, but I'll be pulling verses as they apply to what we're talking about. The entire chapter is a love letter from David about why Scripture is so valuable, um, and so we'll be using that as our main text for today. Um, so before I get too far in, uh, let me pray for our time together um, before we dive into Scripture. Dear God, thank you for um, your word, that you care enough about us to talk to us um, and to describe yourself to us, that we can have a relationship to you, that we know you and not just know facts about you. Um, pray for this time. Be with me. Help the words uh, that I say to be true um, and meaningful, but more importantly, uh, allow your words to be what people remember. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So. Let's start off just by kind of setting the stage uh, about why Scripture matters, the value of Scripture. In both Christian and non-Christian circles, people often question, do we even need this book anymore? Is it worth reading and memorizing? It doesn't seem relevant to what we are talking about. So that's where we need to start. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In fact, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than daily bread. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. But I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Therefore say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever I say will be fulfilled, declares the sovereign Lord. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. See, Scripture is all we need. When we add to the gospel, we actually are taking away from the gospel. His words are enough, and they're just as relevant and important to us today as they were back then. 
the first thing we have to understand about Scripture is that it is the ultimate authority. And so we use Scripture to validate Scripture, which seems like circular reasoning. But the reality is, is that anything we hold as the ultimate authority is going to seem like circular reasoning because we're holding it to the ultimate authority. For example, if we say that reason is the ultimate authority, it's because it seems reasonable that that would be so. Right? Or if we say that human experience is the ultimate authority, it's because what I can feel and what I can experience seems to give me truth. Right? So no matter what you choose, it's going to be circular if it is the ultimate authority. But the truth is that scripture is the only thing that can stand up to inconsistencies. That there are, there's nothing that can point to it um, or break down that scripture is what it is saying. So, as we dig in, keeping that in mind that it, it may seem circular quoting scripture about scripture to say that scripture is real. Um, it, that is the reality, um, and that is what we hold to as the ultimate authority. So, let's, let's try to uh, get going here. Uh, so, first of all, scripture is meant for everyone to understand. Uh, that is the first principle we need to understand as we are trying to be like Jesus. So, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, it says... These words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them where you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. If God's people are meant to understand scripture, they're talking about everybody here, right? These are the average Israelite people who were slaves and have just been freed. They're not the most educated people, but they should be able to hear God's words and explain them to their children. And so God says that scripture is meant for everybody to understand. Now, it, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy, um, but there is a level of simplicity to what God is asking of his people. David writes in Psalm 119, Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Right? Scripture has a way of enriching our lives if we are open to it. He continues in one, verse 130, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. So we should long for those things. It should be something that we go to because it's easy for us to follow, or easy for us to understand, uh, maybe not easy to put into practice. God wants us to read scripture. He wants us to know what he is saying. There was this idea that God's people would be a witness to the rest of who he, rest of the world, to who he is. Um, there's this idea called a kingdom of priests that God sets up early on with his people. Uh, so in Exodus chapter 19 is where he talks about that. Uh, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all of the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right, we're all supposed to be these servants uh, to God that show who he is, that we are all priests in this kingdom, uh, pointing to God. And if that's not enough, in the New Testament, it's referenced again by Peter in 1 Peter 2.9, saying not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? We are all called to know his word and to be able to teach others about it, even if that is within our own families. The psalmist writes, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Often when we have a hard time understanding scripture, it's not the scripture that is the problem. Um, it's often with us. Our, our limitations in understanding Scripture are often our own willingness to pursue what Scripture actually means. Um, this is where we need the Holy Spirit in us and those around us to help us interpret what Scripture is saying. If that means looking at commentary or getting people that are wiser than you around you um, or just praying for guidance of what God is saying here. Um, but we should approach reading Scripture with humility and allow it to change us instead of saying, it's scripture that's the problem. I don't understand scripture. Maybe it's us that's the problem, and we need help understanding it. And so, yes, sometimes action precedes motivation, that we have to move past ourselves and want to get into scripture, start reading it, and then that desire over time will grow. So we should seek to understand his word, because God promises we'll be able to. 
He wants us to know him, and he wants others to know him as well. We are the plan for people to see who God is. So let's pause for a sec and talk about that, because this is something we need to process through. What do you find difficult about understanding scripture, and what steps could you take to help you overcome that difficulty? Okay, so chat with your group for a couple minutes, and then we'll come back. So, let's start thinking about why we should read Scripture. We know that we should read it, right, because it helps us uh, understand who God is, and God wants us to. He's made it uh, simple enough for us to understand. So, let's look at some of those advantages to actually getting into Scripture. So, while it may seem difficult at times, God wants us to pursue this relationship with Him, right? Like anybody who's in a relationship, it's important to listen and understand what is being said, and this is how... God speaks to us. So, here's some examples of why reading scripture has advantages. One, knowing scripture helps us understand how to react like Jesus would to difficult questions and situations. Jesus will often quote scripture when people ask him questions to things, um, and we'll get into that a little bit further. The uh, psalmist writes uh, in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. That scripture illuminates uh, what, when there's a situation, it helps to solve the problem. So the reference he's making here uh, is in the ancient world, they would have these lamps, and they're the various sizes, uh, from smaller to bigger, uh, and they would place them in holes along stone roads uh, as people were walking along these different paths. And so it was an oil lamp, it would, you'd fill it with oil and you'd light it here, and they would place these all along the path. And so there would literally be lamps along where your feet were walking that would light your path as you were going about these different places. Um, so it helps them to avoid stumbling and falling by having lights along the path. And that's the picture that David is giving us here, is that lamps, that the word of God uh, helps us from stumbling and falling and helps us in difficult situations. He says in verse 66, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted and went astray, but now I keep your word. Scripture will help us to avoid mistakes and continual mistakes. While knowing scripture helps us become more like Jesus, there's also a temptation to use it for our own gain. Um, and David again warns us about that. We should be careful not to use scripture to justify decisions we want to make that are not from God. So while it's good to know scripture, there's one caveat that I would say is to know it in context, which we'll talk about further. For example, people love to use Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? It's in every, uh, you know, uh, Christian restaurant around. Um, but they use it as an excuse to do whatever they want versus actually um, understanding what it's talking about. Uh, in the broader context, Paul is writing that from prison. Uh, so keeping that in mind. Um, so that is why we should approach Scripture with humility and allow it to change us instead of imposing our meaning on Scripture. David writes uh, in, in verse 36, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. We want to know what God says, not what we want God to say. So because we tend towards selfishness, as David implies, we need scripture to help us remind us of how God has kept his promises and will continue to keep them. So one of the advantages to reading scripture is to continually see that God is faithful in what he has told us he will do, that he keeps his promises. It's like if you're married and you never spend time with the person, your idea of who that person is will shift and get warped either for the positive or the negative. You may see this person as the perfect picture of everything and ignore their flaws uh, or only see their flaws and not see who they really are. So we need to constantly be reminded of who God is by reading scripture. Um, knowing scripture also helps us be prepared to talk about Jesus to other people. David writes in verse 24, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Right? It should be giving us life and being our counselor as to how we talk to people um, about who Jesus is. And then knowing scripture should bring us joy because it brings us closer in relationship with Jesus. In verse 72, The law of your, uh, your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Right? It brings us closer to who Jesus is. It makes us more like Jesus, which is ultimately our goal as disciples or Talmudim. So, this is the part now 
where you're probably going to want to take notes because we're going to get deeper into scripture. We're not going to read it as fast as that video was flipping through it, uh, but we are going to be reading a lot of scripture as we're going into understanding how understanding scripture makes us more like Jesus. Okay? So, one of the main reasons why it makes us more like Jesus is that the things that Jesus says are almost 90% unoriginal. Uh, most of the red in your Bible that Jesus says is him quoting scripture from other places. Um, and so we need to understand scripture to understand what Jesus is saying. He is the, uh, the genius at references and Easter eggs uh, and callbacks uh, in what he says. So we have to understand scripture. But it's also worth noting he is not negating scripture. That often what Jesus is saying is, you have heard it said, blank, let me clarify that for you. Like we saw in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5-7. through 7, right? He's clarifying and re-explaining, better interpreting what people have thought. So, uh, it was the expectation that his audience knew scripture to get what he was saying. And we miss a lot because we don't know our Bible. Right? If we want to be like Jesus, we have to understand what he said. We have to know our Bible enough to know what he was talking about. So I'm going to give you three examples of scripture that is great, that we know well probably, but have missed part of it because we don't know our Bible well enough. So example number one, Matthew 11, 28 to 29. Jesus is talking to a crowd and he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is a nice comforting verse, right? It shows that uh, God it has this relationship. It's a beautiful sentiment and a promise of Jesus. But Jesus' audience would have gasped dramatically when he said this because it's not originally from Jesus. Okay, He is quoting scripture. He is quoting Exodus 33, 14, which says, And the Lord said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Who will give rest? The Lord, the Lord right? But Jesus is the one saying it. He's saying, I will give you rest, right? Who is he claiming to be? God. He's claiming to be the Lord by quoting the scripture, saying, I will give you rest. And then verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Again, his audience would be in shock. Do you guys hear what he just said? He's comp so there's two pieces to this. One is the gentle and lowly in heart. That that is a description that was used for Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. He's the most humble man ever, which is funny because he probably wrote it. But, um, <laughs> but it's used as a description for Moses. So he's claiming to be this person that was so important to their history. And then the next part, you will find rest for your souls. That's not original either. He's getting that from somewhere. It's from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord... Stand by the roads and look, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Again, who is Jesus claiming to be? God, right? He is quoting the, that the Lord is saying this, and now Jesus is saying, I am saying this, right? But we miss this if we don't know our scripture, if we don't know these other passages that Jesus is referring to. We miss his claims of divinity in these scriptures. All right, example number two. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 3, we have this story about John the Baptist being in prison. All right? Here's, here it goes in verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, John the Baptist was the person who proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. That is his whole life's work. And then all of a sudden, it seems like he's doubting that that is who Jesus is. Are you the one who is to come? Now, if you were John, you have been in prison for telling people that Jesus is the one to come. And then you have this chance to ask someone who is all-knowing and all-powerful a question. What question would you probably ask? Why am I in prison? Right? Like, can you get me out of prison? You are all-powerful, all-knowing, and I'm in prison for telling people who you are. Can you do something about this, right? But that's not what he asks. He asks, are you the one who is to come? And I think we've too often kind of come down hard on John about this. Why are you doubting all of a sudden? And the truth is, he's not. He's using a code by quoting scripture 
in a way that Jesus would know, but the Romans would not know, or Herod wouldn't know. So he's quoting Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now we use that scripture all the time when we talk about Easter and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But he's quoting that part. Are you the king that is to come? Right? And in Jeremiah not or sorry, Zechariah 9 9, it says, Your king is coming to you. The reason he's citing that is that he knows what happens next in Zechariah chapter 9. It's like a call and response that, that we do in church and other places, right? Where we do the, you know, uh, God is good and all the time and all the time God is good kind of thing, right? Uh, that's what's happening here. John is quoting a scripture, and Jesus knows what the next scripture is. So what's the next scripture in Zechariah chapter 9? As for you also, because of my blood and my covenant with you, I will set the prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore you to you double. John is asking, will I get out of prison? But he's doing it by quoting scripture because he knows Jesus knows what's next in the scripture. Right? And then Jesus responds using scripture as well. He doesn't answer the actual thing that John asked or the implied thing that John asked. He quotes a different scripture. So in Matthew 11, verse 4, it says, Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Again, he doesn't answer the question. Either... Are you the one who is to come, or am I getting out of prison? But he quotes a scripture to him. So what is the scripture that he is quoting? It's actually three. Jesus, again, is brilliant. No scripture, backwards and forwards. Quotes three different scriptures and puts them all together, but leaves out part of one of the scriptures. Okay? He's quoting the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 35 says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, deaf unstopped. And the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 26, the dead shall live, and their bodies shall arise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. And then Isaiah 61, we have one more left that Jesus says. There's also a part that's left out. In Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. But Jesus doesn't say that last part of Isaiah 61, right? The verse in Matthew is, the blind shall receive sight, the lame walk, lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. He doesn't say liberty to the captives. So he's answering John's question. Are you going to get out of prison, John? No, you're not going to get out of prison. But he uses it by quoting scripture and we miss all of that when we don't excuse me when we don't know our bible and we don't know what they're saying but jesus does say one more thing in matthew 11 verse 6 he said blessed is the one who is not offended by me so he tells them you're not going to get out of prison but stay strong remain sure that you are right that i am the one who is to come that i am the messiah so that's example two. Example number three. In John 8, we have this story of the adulterous woman that's brought before Jesus to be stoned. It says in John chapter 8, verse 2, Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him. They might have some charge to bring against him. And then this is the best part. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. Almost every time I've ever heard this scripture preached or I've read it even myself, immediately the question everybody asks is, what is he writing? Or what is, what, what is he writing here? And I think it's the wrong question because when we actually look at it, Nobody else asks that question. None of the disciples, none of the Pharisees, none of the other people here, they don't ask that. Because they know what he's doing. He is quoting scripture 
through action. So the scripture he's quoting through action is Jeremiah 17, verse 13. It says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water which in context seems to apply to this woman's situation. She's been put to shame. She has done something against the Lord. And Jesus sits there and is writing in the ground. And they're like, oh, he is quoting this verse from Jeremiah. Of course he is. This woman's caught in adultery. But the point Jesus is making is they don't actually know the scripture because if they knew it, they would know the verse that comes before it, which is Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Right? They know that scripture about the writing in the earth, but they're missing the bigger point. Is that he wants to know what's your heart. And so Jesus stands. And, uh, well, he, he's also implying to, I forgot this part, um, is the verse after it. So later on in Jeremiah, we also see another. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed. And let me not be dismayed. And so Jesus, we get this idea of what's in your heart. You're the one bringing this person here. What are you thinking of? Who are you persecuting? You should be thinking about your own problems here, your own sin. And so he's writing in the ground. Do they get it? They don't. They're just staring there. And so in verse 8 in John, I'm sorry, John 8, verse 7, Jesus says, As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is among, without sin among you be the first one to throw a stone. And then he goes back and starts writing in the ground again. Right? Do you get it or not is the question he's asking. I'm writing in the ground. Do you know the scripture actually? Do you know the one before it? Right? About God searches the heart and the head. That's what this is about. And he goes back to writing in the ground. And we see a very Jewish response to it based on people who get it in verse 9. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older one, till Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. The older people, the ones who actually were in new scripture, the Pharisees, the scribes, they get it first because they knew the scripture. And down on to the younger ones who are newer in studying scripture. Part of why I love this example the most is it points to an idea we say all the time in church, but we don't really see what we're talking about. That Jesus is the word made flesh right he is acting out scripture in action because he is the word the word is among us in deuteronomy 11 it says fix these words of mine in your heart and minds and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads there's this idea in jewish thought that we should know scripture so intimately and that's what jesus expects of his people as well um, in the Jewish idea, they took it a little more literally uh, that they would actually have boxes uh, called phylacteries that they would put around their head and tie around their arm uh, with this verse on it in Deuteronomy. Um, but I think more of the heart behind it is that we have it memorized, that we value it so much that we can recall what Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> David writes in Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. A little further down, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And that's what I would hope for you guys. That Part of why I wanted to spend so much time on this is that's what made scripture real for me, is seeing the deeper picture. That we can read a verse and say that's cute, or we can dig deeper and see what Jesus is really talking about. Um, so that would be my prayers, that he would open our eyes to what we're really meant to get out of Scripture, that if we can keep rereading it and get more and more out of it. Again, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to understand what he said. We have to know the book. So I want to spend a little bit of time. This can be a little longer discussion. Um, and I want us to spend some time actually digging into the Word a little bit in groups. So in groups of four or five, you're going to need... A couple Bibles among the group, uh, or the Bible app is fine. Um, but I want us to experience that moment of aha, of seeing that connection between what Jesus is doing in action, as the Word made flesh, and things that have happened in other places in the Scripture. So, 
in your group of four or five, uh, I have all these verses up here. And here's what I'd like to do, is to kind of go in a circle or back and forth, is to read Psalm 22, parts of Psalm 22, and how they correlate to Jesus as the Word made flesh. So you're going to kind of bounce back and forth. So someone will read Psalm 22, verse 1, and then someone will read Matthew 27, 46. Someone will read 22, 6, and 7. Someone will read the next part in Matthew. Someone will read this one and kind of go back and forth between Old and New Testament. Okay? Kind of the idea. So, gather up groups of four or five, kind of go back and forth in this, this comparison. And then after you're done with that, answer, just talk about this. How does knowing Scripture lead us to better understand who Jesus is? Right. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but my reaction when reading those things, just like in parallel, like that back and forth, uh, is worship. Like, that is the reaction you should have, is that God is sovereign, that it would be impossible to, do, to fake that. Like, we were talking in our group that, okay, some of these things Jesus must know. That, like, all right, I got to, you know, do a certain things to follow the path. But other things, like the Romans gambling on his clothing, that's nothing he can control. Um, these are, you know, just scripture being fulfilled, right? Um, so it's so cool to see how these things are connected. And again, like, the crucifixion, just reading the, the New Testament account, is beautiful and powerful and meaningful. But how much more is it when we know the rest of the story, when we get the rest of Scripture and the bigger picture of what's happening here. Like I said, the reaction should be worship, that that is the response we get. And it's why we study Scripture. It brings us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, right? David gets this too. Uh, in Psalm 119, in one, verse 164, he says, Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. 171, my lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are great. That, re- that should be our response when we read these things. It shouldn't be a, a chore that we do every day because we feel like we have to. It should bring about this excitement to want to read more. Um, and I see this connection where often people feel like God is... Um, that they're missing something in prayer and meditation, that they'll pray and it feels like God isn't talking to them. It's because he already has in the Word, and we don't know the Word well enough to recall the things that God has said that will bring, as David said, that peace um, into our lives. When we know God's Word and love it, we get what he is saying to us. It becomes more meaningful, even in our prayer and meditation time. Right. Um, so, uh, there are different practical ways to help us read Scripture, and those are the things I'm going to go through now. So again, if you haven't been taking notes yet, now will be the time. Uh, these are the things that are going to be most relevant and meaningful uh, for your day-to-day uh, Scripture processing. So, um, starting off, um, start in the morning. Uh, I know we say that with every practice, pray, meditate. If you start your day with that, that is going to set you up for the rest of your day focusing on who God is. And it's scriptural to do that. In Psalm 119, again, David says in verse 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. And we see lots of examples where even Jesus as well goes out early in the morning. In Mark 135, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place and there he prayed. So starting in the morning, There is something about starting your day with that that helps us focus on what we should be thinking on throughout the day and looking for examples of God fulfilling his scripture throughout the day. So some of the the practicals then. Uh, There are lots of different versions of scripture to read and have to do with different um, translations of the Greek and Hebrew. One of the things that are interesting about those languages is there is a very small vocabulary with Hebrew especially. Uh, It's one of the smallest, uh, like, I don't know what the right term is, but the amount of words in the text, not a lot, uh, because each word has a lot of different uh, connotations and meanings, a lot of vernacular phrases and things like that. And so that's why there's a lot of different translations. Um, so the, the one that we tend to use, or I tend to use, is the English Standard Version. It's pretty reliable. They use a lot of that Hebrew and Greek and explanation and connecting it to what it means versus colloquial sayings. Um, so it's useful for interpreting as we're thinking about what Jesus is saying here. Um, there's other versions, though. Uh, one that's kind of different uh, is called the message, which is a paraphrase into modern language. That really is for if you want to just understand the stories that are in there. 
Uh, I wouldn't read into like, why did they use this tense of the verb and not this one when you're reading the message? Because it is just a paraphrase uh, to help us understand the stories. Holly's been reading a version called the Bibliotheca, which is basically uh, the Bible without any chapter breaks in it. Uh, so it's just all the way through. And it makes it more like you're reading a novel. Um, and you decide kind of where is the time I want to stop. And, and Holly can probably speak more to this, but it's been the experience of I've just kept going because the story keeps going versus, oh, I've read a chapter for today. That's enough. Um, it kind of gets you into a flow of reading the full story. And it's useful for finding bigger themes in the text. Um, as, as far as like uh, a digital resource, um, I like the Olive Branch app. I know we've been pushing the Bible app. I don't know if we get you know a cut of that or not, but I, I've, <laughs> I've been using this app instead. The reason I like this app is because it has footnotes and little uh, letters and numbers along, and so it helps you connect back to that Old Testament reference that Jesus is talking about. Um, so when you're reading along, it has little footnotes you can follow to, oh, this is actually a quote he's making from the Old Testament, and that's helpful for, again, that richer experience going into Scripture. Um, and it, there might be other apps that have that too, but that's the one I found that has been helpful. And then, uh, you know, for even deeper analysis, they have commentaries and things like the MacArthur Study Bible, which is like uh, is super thick. I should have brought it in to show you, but it um, it has lots of footnotes and historical references and explainers for what they might be talking about, um, and maps and things like that. They're helper helpful for deeper analysis even further. So. Pick a version, have a couple versions even. I know when we've been reading in the mornings, we'll start off with our ESV and then look at some stuff in MacArthur and kind of go back and forth looking um, for deeper study. Again, it's how much are we willing to go? Uh, how deep are we willing to look into who Jesus says he is? As far as what to read, that is certainly up to you. There are lots of different plans in the uh, Bible app and in other places. You can talk with your life group. That might be a good strategy is to find something that you can be consistent with and be accountable to each other about what you're reading, even if it's just a text, hey, what did you think of Romans 8 today? Um, you know, things like that to help each other be accountable as you're reading. But there are various plans you can go through. You can go through, like, starting in the New Testament, starting in the Old Testament, uh, going back and forth between the two. Um, there's lots of uh, kind of options about that. So I want to get into this. Is the, the, what we're going to look at is methods of study, ideas to help you break down Scripture, no matter what you choose to read. These are good strategies to process and think about these things. So the first one, this is the simple, and we're going to go from easy to more complex. So just write them all down. Write the one you think you can handle. Uh, you know, th there's various range. So starting with most easy is three questions. No matter what you read, you can always ask these three questions. One, what does this say about God? Two, what does this say about man or mankind? Three, what does this say about the relationship between God and mankind? And this is helpful, especially if you feel like you don't have a lot of time and you want something to pull to chew on for the rest of the day. So you can use this with almost any scripture. So I'm going to pull an example that we talked about, which was this woman caught in adultery where Jesus is writing in the ground. Now, ideally, again, if you had more time, you'd look and you'd compare the Old Testament and New Testament. But if you wanted to start with these three questions, what does this story say about God or Jesus? That he sees all sin as equal and wants to go to the heart of the issue. What does this say about mankind? The rest of the people standing around, they tend, we tend to judge other people and want punishment for others, but not for ourselves. And what does this say about the relationship between God and mankind? That we've missed the mark, but God gives mercy. And that truth, that fact, is something you can hold on to for the rest of the day and think about and process, that we've missed the mark, but God gives mercy. Right? And so you can use those three questions. And that's great for, especially if you're discipling someone or starting a Bible study, you don't have to have a lot of planning and preparation you just say, let's pick a story, let's ask these three questions, and you can do that um, you know, at any point. So that's a good one. Going on to complexity, uh, the next one is just, I don't know what it's called, I, the vowels, uh, A-E-I-O-U. Uh, when you're reading a scripture, step one is to ask questions. Uh, if there are things that are confusing, what is this saying, why does Jesus do this, where are they going, ask questions, process it, go deeper. Two is emphasize certain words. So like, you know, go, you, start, you read that or circle it, or uh, mercy, or uh, however, or things that, words that seem really meaningful to you, to really focus in and emphasize those words and dig into that. Illustrate. We have a um, young life leader who loves to, on the side of her notebook, 
take a word and like artistically draw it, and it helps her process that and think about it deeper. And that's a great practice to get into as well. If you tend toward being one distracted or two more artistic, is to take one of those words and kind of just you know doodle around it and focus in on it. And then find oh other scriptures that have to do with that same idea. So a lot of the gospels are the similar stories in multiple places or examples of where God has shown love to his people, or uh, you know, other scriptures that are similar in concept. And the U stands for use. Uh, apply it. Uh, don't just read it, but if it says, you know, feed the poor, apply that. Go in, do something that scripture is talking about. Um, that is a part of that process. So that's that one. The next one is, oh, sorry, go back one, Chad. Uh, the next one is ProApt, which we've talked about before. Um, and this one is uh, a little bit deeper. It incorporates a little bit more of the practices we are working on. So the first P stands for pray, uh, where we start off, and obviously we pray. Uh, and then R is for read. You read the text once or twice through, and then you get to the O, and that's when you observe. And that is where you would put into place either the three questions or this, excuse me, this process into the O of observe. Uh, what, what's going on here? Uh, what is God doing? Use those three questions. What's God doing? What's man doing? What are the relationship between the two? Or go into the, you know, what are the words that are important? What can we focus in on in that observe chunk? And then the A is apply. Again, how are you going to use this? How does this apply to me personally and the situations I'm in? Pray again that God would make that real to you. And then tell somebody. I think that's often a step we miss. And that is a step that helps us to remember in addition to encouraging other people. It's not just for them, it's for you as well. Students will often ask me, how do I remember so many things about history? It's because I say it every single day, and that really helps me remember. Um, so tell other people, it's not just for their benefit, but also for your benefit as well. The last one, this is the most complex, and in, in frankness, I've never done it. Um, but I've heard it's good. Uh, if you have a weekend to devote to this, it's great. Um, this is kind of like going full... Uh, you know, Benedictine monk into scripture. So, uh, step one is type the book or chapter. Just type it. Uh, yes, you could copy and paste it, but the point is that you are processing or write it, maybe not type, write or type, process it all the way through, no um, chapter breaks, no like headings, just whatever the check section is you are looking at. Okay? Then read it once or twice through. That might take a while, depending on how many, how long, or what book you're doing. Uh, I would start with the letters. Uh, the third thing, then, is to highlight all the pronouns, different colors. You know, blue for he, she, or he and him, pink for she. All the different colors, so you can identify who is speaking at different points in the passage. Circle all the verbs or actions. Ran, walked, helped, healed. Circle all of those, so you can see where those are taking place. Underline conjunctions and comparisons, and the, uh, the if you're an English teacher, fanboys for and nor but or yet so, uh, and however, if all those transition words are good to notice as well. Um, box any repeated phrases or ideas. So if things that come up again and again, those are good to notice if they're consistent in a chapter. And then in the margins, that's where you start to process. Pencil in any themes or lessons or big ideas that you've seen on your paper. Pencil around the outside. Write down unfamiliar words to look up so you really understand it. And then you can create your own subsections of what things are. I think off, well, the, the, the example I think of is The Prodigal Son. Now, that's really not a great title for that story. It's really the story of the two sons, right? Um, so what subsections would you make after doing all this processing thinking about this chapter. Okay? Again, it's just a deeper analysis of it to really reflect and think about what is going on. Like, like I said, I've never done it, but it sounds like a great idea to me. So maybe one weekend, <laughs> that'll be a job to do. Um, so, things to try. Okay? But that's actually not the practice of the week. This is all just for free. The thing we're actually going to be doing this week is something else. So, um, yeah. Uh, no, so here are some ideas for this week as we are working on practicing and getting better at reflecting on Scripture and being more like Jesus as we understand his word. So, you got some choices. I would take a picture. Uh, I think it's also in the Bible. It's in the text message thing. Perfect. 
giving you lots of options. Because, on Facebook too. <laughs> giving you lots of options because we all process scripture differently and have different amounts of time and different styles that we find valuable. So what I've done is there's a practice and a related scripture that, to try that practice with. So number one is read scripture about nature while out in nature, which may depend on the weather, although it seems like it's going to be warmer this week, so that might be good. Um, so I think that's really been helpful for me some, when I was uh, thinking about that. Uh, I love learning about nature, uh, seeing it in scripture. It helps me better understand the metaphors that are being used. So thinking about scripture that talks about God covers you with his wings. Well, why do birds do that? What would that actually look like? What is the deeper meaning why that is beneficial, that God covers you with his wings? Um, so dig into some of those metaphors, those ideas about nature will help us better understand the scripture about it. Make scripture into music. Um, I went to Christian school. I know a lot of verses because we sang them all the time. Um, it's actually very helpful for processing scripture and having it in your head. Um, make your own songs. There's a lot of them available, but there's also ones that you, know, you could make songs to. Um, engage your senses related to the text. This one was a new one for me, and I loved the idea. Is um, Some of us are sensory processors, and so to touch things that correlate to what you're reading about will help you remember it more. So like if to have some nails if you're reading about the crucifixion or uh, you know touching some oil if you're reading about that part or drinking water while thinking about Jesus as the living water or making bread when you're processing Jesus as the bread of life um, helps it stick better in our head. Um, so think about those things. Maybe those are things that will help you process scripture a little better. Create symbols that remind you of verses. Um, these are things that the church was traditionally really good about and then got swung really far on the pendulum and being all about symbols. Um, but those are beneficial. Um, so maybe you, uh, you know, have things in your house that correlate with scripture, a cup or a crown or a lamp, uh, things that go with verses that help you remember what those verses are. One of the ones the Jews used to do uh, is have a blue and white tassel that would symbolize that picture of being set apart yet within the culture. Um, and being a witness to them, and being this kingdom of priests. Uh, so having symbols will help you remember what scripture is about. Uh, read, and then immediately go do what it says. Uh, sometimes for us, we'll read something, and then we get lazy, or we think it doesn't apply, and the best way to break that is to just go do it. So if we read something about, um, you know, love your neighbor, great, how can I go love my neighbor and go do it? Um, too often we read scripture and say, oh, that's a good idea. I should do that. And then we never do it. Uh, so maybe that's the, the thing we need to work on this week. Uh, you can also focus on a single word or attribute of God in scripture. So look at every scripture that has to do with God being a rescue or um, God uh, valuing justice uh, or love. But focusing on a single thing and then finding everywhere that it talks about that in scripture might be a good way to process that. You can also uh, research connections between stories, which is kind of what we did today looking at Psalm 22, is follow those footnotes. Don't just see them and say, oh, this goes to something else, but actually follow it and keep going down that path um, and find those connections as much as you can. And then the last one, um, which we'll talk about more in a couple weeks, is to spend time in solitude reading scripture. Uh, mm -hmm. Read and reread again and again until you've pulled everything you can out of it. Um, I know I fall into the trap of, i got to get a chapter done today, and so I miss something along the way. But spending time either on a verse or a couple verses or on a chapter, reading and rereading over and over again, so you fully have processed what's being talked about. Um, so these are our practices for this week. Uh, there's a couple options. You can pick one each day to do. Uh, you can pick one to do the entire week. Uh, you can try a couple. This is all just to make our time uh, in Scripture more meaningful um, and get us into starting that rhythm, right? Uh, regardless how we best respond to Scripture, the more time we spend in God's Word, the more we're going to long for it. But often action does pre precede motivation, so we need to take that first step. Um, I'll leave you with just a couple more uh, verses from Psalm 119. In verse 1, it said, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And in verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways from me and graciously teach me your law. We should long for God's word. Hopefully this week we will start to feel that desire as we get into our scripture.
So the last thing I want to do is just give you some time to process and talk with your group, maybe find a way to uh, be accountable to each other. Pick a strategy. Uh, what will you use? What is your plan for this week? Set it in motion, uh, and then keep each other accountable on that. Okay? All right. Talk about that for a little bit. You can go back. One thing uh, that I came across this week that I just wanted to point in your direction, if uh, as Ross was talking, and um, you know, I know, I know, we got a whole lot today. Uh, we probably got like three or four sermons uh, today, just all kind of shoved in there together. So I know there's probably some smoke coming off the pens and pencils as you guys are trying to write everything down. Okay, but if if if, if during uh, Ross's talk during the message, like if it sparked something inside of you, a desire to go deeper in this, to know more, to learn more, to learn uh, better how to study your Bible. Um, I came across a really awesome resource this week. Um, a lot of us are familiar with David Platt. Uh, he's uh, now up in D.C. Uh, pastoring a church, but he's also been uh, in multiple, a uh, couple of other churches. He's also uh, done a lot of work in missions. Uh, phenomenal teacher of the Bible. Um, but at his churches, uh, they've done this thing called Secret Church, uh, which is uh, really a picture, you know, in a lot of other countries where the gospel, you can't speak of the gospel, uh, the church has to be secret. And so they'll get together and they'll meet for like hours and hours at a time, right? Because it's the time that they have. And so they may only be able to get together once a month or once every couple of months, but they'll meet for like six hours in this hidden location. So he's been bringing that um, to the churches that he's been a part of. And so they'll spend six hours on one subject, one topic, and just go extremely deep uh, for six hours on that. And so uh, the third time that he did this, Secret Church uh, number three, is all about how to study your Bible. And so there's six hours of just practical stuff. Uh, again, a lot of what Ross talked about today, uh, plus a whole lot more uh, different ways and nuances and how we study the Bible uh, and deeper understandings of, of ways that we can look at that and go into that. And so um, if you go, this is his website or the website for it, uh, radical.net slash SC3, Secret Church 3. Uh, and there's a bunch of documents on there. Um, uh, there's uh, all the podcasts uh, or the videos are on there if you want to watch through that. So, again, just another resource uh, if you want to go deeper in that. Uh, this is another great opportunity for us to do that. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. I happened to just be listening to some of his podcasts this week and came across that. And I was like, oh, this is good. So uh, maybe that will be helpful to share. Okay. All right, so as with everything, though, we don't want just this to be a, a practice that's separated from our worship. One of the things I appreciate most about uh, knowing Ross and what he shared this morning with us is the fact that our time in Scripture should lead us to worship God, right? It shouldn't, we shouldn't just worship this, the, the practice of the Bible. We shouldn't just, or, or reading the Bible, we shouldn't just worship, man, I know so much about the Bible now, so that makes me feel so good. No, that should produce within us a worship to God for his word. Um, and so there's, there's many ways that we do that. Uh, we want to close out today just by having one more chance just to, to sing praises to God, to worship God through singing. Okay, so Tom and Letitia are going to come up. They're going to uh, lead us in one last song. And uh, let this just kind of be our anthem of our hearts, cry uh, to worship God for all that he is and all that he has done for us. <laughs>